Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back to our podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Chris and Uriah here. We're all three back after, I think, Chris, it was you and I believe Jonathan holding down the, ho- uh, the, the fort for us? No, it was Dan. It was Dan. From Liberty Ballers, yeah. Oh, Dan came on. Oh, wow. Okay. I hadn't, I've been really busy this past couple of days, so I haven't had a chance to listen to our most recent episode. I apologize. It is on my list of things to do, though. Anyway, though, we do have a lot of basketball to talk about, including the Sixers win against the Chicago Bulls. So, Chris, how about we just jump into that? Yeah. I mean, look, six, six wins in a row, people. Um, the vibes are pretty good. Um, I don't think people expected the Sixers to be 8-2 and two out of the gates. I don't know if that was where we all thought the season would be heading. Um, obviously, the win in Chicago was one in which the Sixers held the lead for most of the night. Chicago made a push there in the second half, but it was a 114-105 final score in Philly's favor. Joel had 30 to lead all scorers. Corkmaz had 25. I'll go to you first, Uriah. What expectations did you have coming into this game? Obviously, it's the second time they had played in a handful of nights. And did you think the Bulls were going to adjust? Were you surprised that the Sixers were able to get another win this time on the road? Um, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, I was definitely surprised. I thought that this was, I don't know, it was going to be the end of our winning streak. The Sixers were on the road. The Bulls have a good team. On paper, they have a good team. They have some great scores. Their bench might be a little bit more thin than than we would probably assume. However, the fact that they have a good coach in Billy Donovan and such a prolific score in Zach Levine as well as uh, DeMar DeRozan, I was surprised that Lonzo Ball, he's not playing up to expectations, at least for my fantasy team. But hmm. I was surprised. I really was. I thought the Sixers might have lost this one. You bring up a good point, Uriah, and I just want to chime in real quick and state that the Sixers had to call up their two G-leaguers and uh, Jaden Springer and Henry, Aaron Henry. They didn't use them, but like the Sixers are depleted without Isaiah Joe, Matisse Thibel, Danny Green, and Ben Simmons. Yet they and were Tobias still able Harris. To, and Harris. Tobias Harris. I certainly don't want to forget about him. And yet they were still able to pull out a win. And so I think a lot of fans, include like you and myself included, expected a loss here. And it, but interesting fact: two out of the three Bulls lost this season have come by the Sixers. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat as y'all. It was a bit surprising, um, just because it's hard to beat the same team twice in like four days. It, it, just the way things go, that doesn't typically happen. Um, Philly, again, this is their second straight game, basically playing eight guys. Um, Paul Reed was in the starting five. They have, Yeah, I mean, look, it was <laughs> not a game they should have won. Uh, 
I don't think it necessarily reflects poorly on Chicago, though. Like, Philly's just playing really strong basketball right now. They're shooting the lights out. They've, they've been by far, like, the best shooting team through 10 games. We'll see if that continues. But they're just hitting a lot of shots. They executed down the stretch in ways we don't – we aren't really accustomed to with this team. Um, so I, I certainly think it was a, a very impressive win for Philly. Obviously, Doc Rivers – accomplished a pretty big milestone which we'll talk about later but um Uriah for two for you for you what are two players that that stood out in this one I could easily go and be but I'll save that one for for Lucas but I'm gonna go with Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry and let's look at what Maxey's been doing running the point he he doesn't put up a, a whole lot of assists in terms of each game in terms of average, but I'm looking at this stat here over his last three games. He has a 19, he has 19 assists and two turnovers. That's a mm. nine and a half to one assist turnover ratio. So That's he's cutting really down, he's cutting down on his turnovers and he had a huge shot in the fourth quarter, just pulled up for a J swished it. And at that point, the Sixers are on their way to, to heading out of Chicago with a W. So Maxi is definitely, continuing to produce as the point guard and Seth Curry I think in the first half Chris I think he was he was hitting his shots and then the second half he cooled off I think we all expected him to come back down to earth at some point but just the gravity that he creates uh, you could tell that Chicago was pressing up pressing up onto him on the three-point line to try and block any open shots he might have but Curry, uh, he stood out to me just because he cooled off, and I don't, I don't think that anybody can maintain such a, a hot streak the way that he has. Yeah, I, I think those are two good points. I'll, for my two guys, I'm going to start with Paul Reed just because I'm obligated to. Um, yes, you contract. are. Um, look, pretty, pretty strong showing from him. Played 22 minutes, had 10 points, five boards, a block and a steal. I'll just quote Kyle Newbeck on this. Like Reed's a pretty good example of playing hard being a skill. I thought that was a good way to put it. Like he just mm-hmm. plays harder than everyone else on a consistent basis. His motor is insane and it helps him be in the right position to make plays and benefit the team on both sides of the ball. He had a couple really beautiful dunks, had a great defensive game. Uh, you know, I, I've been like on the Paul Reed as a center train for a while, but he's looked really good next to Drummond and Embiid these past couple of nights. Maybe until he fills out his frame, or maybe he's a four. Maybe that's the way to use him. I don't know, but really strong showing from him. Um, and then I got to talk about Shake Milton. Um, what? Yeah, so I, I think my reputation on this matter is pretty. Um, yeah. Look, man, Shake. 13 points, seven boards, six assists, two steals, and a block. No turnovers, plus six on the night. Really strong all-around showing. I mean, he he made some plays defensively that we haven't seen from him in years past. Offensively, he just looks super in control right now. He's probably the best passer actively on the team with Ben out, which is important because they just need guys who can move the ball around. And, I, I mean, I think part of it is just team context. He's out there with Maxi and Curry. That's been the starting backcourt these past couple of games. When he has other ball handlers next to him and it's not a one-man show with him and the bench, I, I think that's a really good spot because he can pick and choose his, his 
places to attack and it lets him spot up more, etc. But just a really strong all-around showing from him. He's been really great since returning. The Sixers haven't lost since he returned, as Lucas pointed out um, on the site recently. I, I, I don't want to say that's like a linear, like, like it's not all because of shake, but like he's been a pretty big factor these past few games. And it's clear that the second unit has benefited quite a bit from him being back. So he deserves a ton of credit. He played 36 minutes in this game, earned every one of them. And he's going to continue. It looks like at this rate being a really important part of this team. Wow. You guys make a lot of good points. I'm going to just touch on a few of the players that you guys touched on before I'm going to talk about the players that I'm going to talk about here. So first off, Paul Reed, real game, still has foul trouble, four fouls in 22 minutes. Not great, Chris. Was a minus 14, which was the worst of any sixer. Only Drummond was the only one that was in the negatives in the plus minus. So just something to watch there. I'm sure that was probably when Chicago made their run, but you know, still something to note. Maxi has always been a low turnover guy. The thing is the assists have never been high either, Uriah. And so, like you said, the last two games, 19 assists, that's pretty good for him. So that that's the positive that I take is that his playmaking is improving. And when you talk about Shake Milton, uh, Chris, um, I wrote on the website and you kind of referenced it already. When I wrote about him, you know, his three point shot has not been there this season so far. I'm not worried about that. He started out slow last year, too. But what's really impressive, Chris, did you know that he's shooting over 81 percent from in three feet and in? So he's become an elite finisher around the rim and from from zero feet to 16 feet, he's shooting at least 50% in that range, if not higher, depending on where he's at in the floor. Yeah. I mean, so he's grown his game as a mid range assassin and being able to finish high. Just around the rim. Yeah. Um, Small sample. Of course, he's not going to shoot 81% at the rim all season, but he's certainly been more aggressive getting downhill, absorbing contact and stuff. He's, mm -hmm. he's certainly improved in that way. Yeah, and then so I'm going to talk about two guys. One of neither one of you. I mean, Chris, you mentioned them at the beginning, but neither one of you guys went into detail. Your uh, Joel Embiid, he looked like himself, like you know the runner-up for MVP last year in this game, and you know it, it's not an easy matchup. Now Nikola Vucevic is not known as the defender, but he can. He has been known to give Joel some fits from time to time in the past. But, you know, Joel came away with 30 points, 15 rebounds, three assists, six turnovers isn't great. But you know what? You'll take that on very high efficiency, four or five from the three, 11 of 19 from the field. The the other guy that I really want to talk about here is Cork Moss. He was the hero of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Corky. 25 points. And, let, let, you know, somebody talked about this on Twitter, and I can't remember who. I think... I think it was Joel that was talking about how Korkma started out, out as a standstill shooter. And now look at him. He can take over a quarter and get you 25 in an actual NBA game. Like we freaked out a couple years back when he had 40 in a summer league game. But we never thought that, you know, oh, he's not going to be anywhere close to that on the NBA. Now look at him. And I'm not, I'm going to eat my words here. I used to criticize Korkmaz a lot. I did. I didn't think he was worth the pick. I thought maybe he was a second round pick at best. And, you know, I, I, and I have to eat my words on this. This guy has put in the work. And now I'm not going to say he's going to be like Keto Turkoglu, like Uriah likes to say, <laughs> but uh, not even similar p players. But you know who he could be, Uriah? 
a poor man's Peja Stoyakovich. Poor man's version, yeah. but yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Stoyakovich was not necessarily a good defender. And he, and he was an awkward athlete, but you know what? Yeah. He could get up. Yeah. He could dunk. He could hit the mid-range. He could hit he was obviously a great three-point shooter. The biggest issue now with Corkmos is consistency. But if uh, let me tell you something, if he could ever get his consistency to like average, you know, to an average like level of consistency, which he's getting close closer to, this guy could be a starter. But the consistency, as me and you last talked when we yeah. ha- had the podcast to ourselves, Uriah, um, that that's his biggest issue. Yeah. Hey, Lucas, so I, I know I put it in the Slack, but I've been going back and forth with Mike Missinelli about Cork Maz because he goes, he does not believe that Cork Maz is a true NBA player. He certainly is. Well, like, I, well, and like, like, like he, his point was, his point was, yeah, after four years coming out now, it's easy to say that. But you have to give him credit because he hung in there. He took all the criticism. He took a pay cut to show loyalty to the team. And, you know, he wanted to be here. So you have to give him credit. Miss Nelly does not want to give an inch when it comes to play. No, no. And that, that, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to eat my words on that one. I, 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 let me tell you, I got some very heated fan hate for an article that I wrote a couple summers ago about him being one of the worst first round picks in like recent <laughs> Sixers history. Tough look, Lucas. I mean, Hey, Hey, at the time it was a good look. It was after his second season, I think where he was still barely playing. And then that se- third season that he, we all know that's when he started making that progress. And then I had to eat them words and I did. Yeah. I mean, Look, Corkmans is the best player on the bench right now. Um, I don't think it's particularly close. He's been excellent in a lot of ways this season. He's improved across the board. Uh, the three-point percentage wasn't there until last night. Now it's there because he hit like six of eight. Um, seven of nine. Seven of nine. He, he's just a really strong all-around offensive player at this point. He's doing a lot more as a playmaker, as we've talked about in the past. Can we say he's a three-level scorer yet? Yeah, I mean, he he's certainly been doing more inside the three-point line. and uh, I don't think his finishing is there, but the mid-range is definitely there. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, again, he's probably the fourth, fifth, sixth best player on the team right now. He, he deserves a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. For sure. So we kind of talked about this earlier, but the Sixers, again, had eight players last night that they actually played. Uh, kept a few of the younger guys on the bench, but this is two games in a row now with a pretty severely depleted roster. Tobias out, Danny Green out, Ben Simmons continuing to be out, plus a lot of the bench. Um, what does it say to you guys about this team that they're still pulling out victories? They've won six in a row. They've beaten the Bulls twice shorthanded. What does it say to you about the Sixers team? I would say that probably, first off, we got to get – and we'll talk about Doc Rivers later, later but Chris, we – we got to give Doc Rivers his due here because this is some phenomenal coaching, not only an X and O standpoint, but the fact is that he's able to keep these guys engaged, have them have the mentality that they can still go out and win games. Everybody knowing their role, everybody being able to execute their role. And it's, I mean, the cohesion and the chemistry on this team, despite the Ben Simmons drama, um, and which we'll get into soon, is phenomenal. Yeah, and uh, it's funny that you mentioned Doc Rivers. 
I wonder, Lucas, if he's mentioned to the Sixers Obutu. You guys familiar with Obutu? I've heard the term before because Kendrick Perkins used to talk about it. Right. It's a term that he used the year that he won the championship with Boston. It basically is an African term. He said it's basically a way of life. And Mm -hmm. it basically means that I, I can't be all I can be unless you are all who you can be. So it definitely promotes the idea of team and unselfishness. And I think that mentality, if it continues to keep this group together, they can go farther than a lot of the national pundits expect. Sixers still not getting the respect out there, but I think this team has a lot of grit. I think they have a cohesion that maybe because Ben Simmons isn't here, it, it probably lends itself to some really great play as a team. But yeah, I think Doc has a, has a lot to do with, with their coming together during this adversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, they're eight and two. They're first place in the East. They've dealt with their second best player holding out publicly. They've dealt with a slew of injuries and COVID now. Joel has not really looked himself up until yesterday, Saturday. I mean, they've dealt with a whole lot of noise and, and injuries and all that. And they're eight and two. They've won six in a row. They're in first place. They have some of the best energy around them of any team in the league. It, it's really hard not to get excited. Um, you know, I, I, they will probably come back down to earth at some point to some degree, but it, it's a, just a really impressive stretch, a really impressive team. They deserve all the credit, credit in the world. Um, yeah. It, it says a lot about them, I think. For sure. But let's go ahead and switch gears now. And we are going to talk about Ben Simmons because obviously he's not on this team. But guys, it's it's happened again. The Sixers are finding Ben Simmons. And the main reason why, and I'll read the quote here from Adrian Wojnarowski. The Sixers have the Sixers find Ben Simmons his three uh uh three 360k game salary for missing Thursday's game and plan to resume finding him until he cooperates with team physicians on his mental health issues and fulfills other basketball-related obligations. Now, I did read the full story. And basically, the gist of it is is that Ben Simmons has not been giving any sort of updates, and he has not used any of the resources, you know, for the mental health issues that he's having from the team. He's using the Players Association's, you know, resources, not the team's. And um, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, because I'm a little fuzzy on this part, but I believe that he's not coming to every day practice. Like, he's not coming in every single day for practice. Like, he comes in for some days, but then he won't show up for one or two other days. Um, so, got, no. you don't know, Chris? Okay. Well, so I guess my question is for you guys is this. How does the Sixers' current one streak impact Simmons' trade value? First off, like, obviously, this is a very tricky situation. Uh, we we don't know the full details. We don't know what the Sixers know. We don't know what Ben Simmons knows. So it's hard for us to have, like, definitive opinions on the matter. Like, obviously, Ben has no obligation to, like, go through the Sixers team physicians for this stuff. I, I Should he be, like, updating them, letting Daryl know when he plans to return, stuff like that? You, you obviously they are like contractually able to keep finding him because they're doing it. So I'm not saying they aren't allowed to, but it 
I, I don't know if we can like paint Ben in a bad light necessarily for this. It, it's a bit of a tricky spot, but does the current win streak impact Simmons trade value? Not really. I don't, I don't think so. Um, the Sixers are clearly a much deeper team this year than they have been in the past. I think that's the main reason for their success. Ben is a three-time all-star. He's one of the best defenders on the face of the earth. And he's 25 years old with four years on his contract. His trade value, I don't think, is going to change much after 10 games. Now, if the Sixers are like 27-2 and two at the all-star break and they look like the greatest team of all time, then maybe we're like, oh, wow, Ben was really holding them back. But this team has always been really good with Joel on the floor. They've always been really good on both sides of the ball whenever Joel's been out there. You put shooting around him, you're basically guaranteed to field a competent team. So I, I, I don't think this is some like big revelation about Ben's value to the team. Like Joel is an amazing player. Even when he hasn't been that good this season, he's still very clearly an amazing player. And that's really like where it starts and finishes with this team still is Joel. So I, I don't think it's like, some referendum on Simmons that the Sixers are so good looking right now without them, but I, I'm sure y'all might disagree with me. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I get where you're coming from. And I, I think in the grand scheme of things, no, probably it doesn't. It doesn't probably impact the trade value because the Sixers probably would still be like near the top of the East, if not the top of the East, even if Simmons was playing for all his flaws. Like you said, Chris, he is one of the best defenders in the NBA, and he does give the Sixers some transition ability that they currently just don't have. So, I mean, obviously in playmaking that they don't have. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, I like I was watching The Ringer on YouTube before we got on here, and they were talking about Ben Simmons' trade value. But and I know we'll we'll get to this in a second, but like, I just, I don't know if the Sixers are going to make a good trade for Ben Simmons this season, to be honest. But I guess, Chris, we can kind of jump into our next point here where, you know, you kind of jumped the gun on this, but, and you don't think the team is better without Simmons. They, you don't think that's true. No, I, I mean, uh, I, I, they're, I, I don't. I mean, Ben is still a great player. I, I don't think that's really a hot take. Obviously, the offense has looked incredible, and a lot of people are going to point and say, hey, look, the spacing is better, and hey, look, they're hitting all their threes still. Like, the Sixers, A, are going to, like, regress shooting-wise at some point. They're going to go through a cold spell, and they're probably going to lose a few more games, and then we'll have a better sense of where this team is at. I, They've just been shooting the lights out to an absurd degree for the most part. And that's part of rostering a lot of good shooters around Joel. Like they're just a good shooting team, a great shooting team, but the numbers are going to dip a little bit at some point. Seth isn't going to be a 50% three point shooter the entire season. I think, well, maybe he is, who knows, but maybe he could be Chris. Maybe he could even then like, like it's gonna, there are going to be some bumps in the road at some point that uh, that's where I'm at. I Ben is just, I mean, we all know what Ben is. He's flawed. There are definite problems in having him on the roster in the playoffs. All of that's true, but he's always been a great regular season player. The Sixers have always been extremely dominant in the regular season with Joel and Ben on the court together. 
And again, a lot of that's just Joel because he's Joel. But Ben has also been a great regular season player himself. The numbers clearly bear that out, that they're better with him on the floor. That's always been the case. Um, now we can argue about whether they'll ever get that version of Ben Simmons back. Probably not. But in an ideal fantasy land where Ben comes back at full strength playing like the Ben Simmons of old, they're still better with Ben. I, I don't think it's a particularly hard uh, opinion to come to. So, Lucas, let me jump in here real quick. Okay. I want to give a shout-out to Gerald Webb, who is uh, someone who comes into the clubhouse meets about Sixers pregame and postgame. And he's an Emmy-nominated producer, actor, former casting executive. He lives in L.A., really cool guy, very passionate Sixers fan. Before the Bulls game, when it was after the Bulls game, he broke it down, and this is this is to his credit. He said that without Simmons on the team right now with this roster, with this roster, teams can't cheat. That's why the spacing is there. That's why there's their three-point shooting is up as compared to in the past. So I think with this roster, Chris, they are better without Ben Simmons. And without Simmons on the floor, it's just giving Maxi more and more time to – develop his game and refine his skills. So I think they are better without Simmons. It's a tough question, guys, to be honest. Like I, if you gave me the option of not to answer this, I would say I would need more time to really get a good feel. Um, and more like a bigger sample size, but let's, let's look what this team has with and without Simmons with Simmons. They have an elite, playmaker and defender but they also like Uriah says they don't space the floor as well which means harder life for Joel not le- less time for Maxi less time less opportunities for Corkmaz to go off same thing for Curry less shots for them which has appeared to be a very good thing flip side you don't have an elite defender you don't have somebody to push push the ball in transition or elite playmaker but the assist don't that doesn't seem to really impede ball movement. In fact, I would say the offense looks more fluid this year than it has in the last couple of years when Joel and Ben share the floor together. Now, when it's Ben by himself, you know, the argument could be made it looks just as fluid, if not more. But it's a hard question to answer. And if I had my choice, I wouldn't answer it right now. But you're asking me to answer it, so look, I'm 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 going to lead more towards Uriah's side on this one. I based I, off the sample size. Yeah, I I think it's a complex. They are certainly better in some ways and worse in others. Like they've been towards the bottom of the league in pace all season. That's obviously part of not having Ben Simmons around. Um, I I. I don't really enjoy being at the bottom of the league in pace. Um, and, and look, the defense is going to suffer in certain matchups. It's not going to suffer as much in other matchups. I will say they have like played really strong team defense all year. They've really impressed in that respect. Thibault looks like a first team all defender when he's playing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Thibault always does, but like at the end of the day, Sixers are eight and two. There's every reason to be excited They're They look amazing, but mm-hmm. They've also, like, the best team they've beaten record-wise so far is the Blazers, who are 5-5. and The only two teams they've played above 500 
right now, I believe, are the Knicks and the Nets, right? And they lost to those teams. Like, they just haven't been playing good teams. Like That they, means the Bulls are other than six Bulls, and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bulls are, like, the one exception. But beyond the Bulls, they've played a lot of crappy teams so far. I, I think we'll know more. We'll have a better read on this team after November. They have a pretty sh- tough road stretch coming up here. They have a lot of games and a very condensed time frame against tougher opponents. Like, I think if they're still, like – just winning several games in a row and they're beating these really good teams and they're winning on the road, then we'll, we'll know like, Hey, this is legit. But I I do think it's worth like tempering expectations with 10 games into the season. I don't think every indicator has been like great. So I, 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 I just want to temper expectations. Yeah, no, and I get it. Like, and I, I totally get it, but I don't know. I just feel, I, (laughs) It's a hard read. That's why I said, and we both agree that it's probably better if we just wait for bigger sample size, but let's move on here, Chris. And I'm going to ask you a very pointed question here. At this point, what do we truly feel is going to happen with Ben Simmons? Is he going to really sit all year? Are they going to trade him before the deadline? You know, I, I really, it's tough to get a good read on this. I think Maury is generally a very um, unconventional GM, if it was any other GM, I'd say like they're going to trade him. It, he probably would have been traded already. But Maury yeah. is very set in his ways. He's clearly willing to let things get uncomfortable. I, I will say this, though, and I talked about it quite a bit on the pod with Dan. I think we've kind of arrived at a point where, like, like look, I, I just don't know what the end game is. Lillard, Beal, Levine, all those guys are pretty much off the table. There, it's just not happening. You know, some like act of God could change that. But right now, the, those things are just not happening. Those dream scenarios that Daryl has clearly been holding out for are not happening. Ben Simmons' trade value is not like shooting up. We haven't seen any reports of the Sixers getting more aggressive offers. There aren't really any teams that seem primed to make a big giant shakeup right now. Like even Portland, five and five really disappointing in a lot of ways we'll see what happens if they end up with a new gm halfway through the season um which seems possible right now but as long as neil o'shea is in charge of that team i don't think they're trading cj for ben simmons and cj has just had a remarkable season so far so i mean why would they is the question um like what's the end game what's the point ben is miserable he doesn't want to be here i i don't think it's fair to assume that if you do get him back, you're going to get back a full speed Ben Simmons who's engaged and who plays at the level we have been accustomed to. I think it's fair to say, like, you you just kind of have to trade him. I I do think they have the ability to get good pieces back. I don't think they're going to get quote unquote pennies on the dollar. The Brogdon thing is off the table, obviously, but they've gotten legitimate offers. It seems like at some point, I feel like they're just going to have to do something because I, I don't, see the light at the end of the tunnel then maybe i'm wrong maybe daryl takes this into next season and ben just has to resign himself to the fact that he's never leaving philly or something but like i i don't know i i'm gonna say trade just because i i it just it has to end i think i i i am i'm gonna have to disagree with you here chris and the reason is is that daryl Morey is a stubborn man he is a stubborn man and like you could say what he said in that interview with Mike uh, 
oh gosh, I'm going to butcher his last name if I try to say it, but on the radio show where he said dig in, it could be four years. I don't think it'll be four years, but it could be a full year. As long as the Sixers are playing well and I don't see them, you know, tanking, why not? Why not? And I like, you don't want to be the team that sets this precedence of allowing a player. Why not is that you're trying to win a championship, right? Yeah. But if you make a bad trade, if you make a bad trade, Chris, your championship window with Joel closes. It closes okay, you completely. You guys just told me. You guys just told me the team's better right now without Ben. That they've improved. But they're not a championship team. I think we're not. None of us are delusional about that. Okay, but this is as deep as it has ever been. You trade Ben for another borderline All Star, All Star level guy who maybe isn't a talent upgrade. How do, that doesn't put you in the championship conversation? But not get. I mean, yeah, you can get somebody that's not a talent upgrade, but you got to get somebody that's a talent equal. Ben is more than just an all star, Chris. He is an elite defender, an above average playmaker, one of the if top ten playmakers. Good, if he's more than just an all star, then they're not better with Maxi starting in his place. That I just Maxi's not that good, and Maxi's great, and he's improved, and Maxi's a tremendous young talent. But like those two. Uh, takes are like incongruous they don't fit together they're they can't be better without ben and also ben is more than an all-star and a great super duper player who deserves it's all about fit chris it's not about it's not necessarily about you know better or worse it's about fit on this team ben out of this lineup seems to be a better appears in the short sample size and i said i would prefer not to answer this but if you're asking me on this sample size right now the sample size is telling me that Ben's not a good fit on this team. Doesn't mean that the talent's not there. The talent is there, Chris. And the issue is, is that are you going to get somebody that's a like like let's just use the Max Kellerman star scale. Ben's a three is an all-star. Ben's a 3.5. He's a 3.5. How many 3.5s are available right now? Not a they're, ton. They're, not a ton, a exactly. If like you can get a three in picks, right now you're playing with a zero because Ben's not in the lineup. But Maury's not going to do that. And if you get Ben back in the lineup, he's probably not playing at the level of a three. I just, I'm. Uh, if you're asking me to bet on if Maury's going to do it or not, I'm going to, I'm going to say no. Maury's not going to do it unless it's equal or better value. He's not going to get less than value. All right, you guys are getting really heated. Let me, let me put this out there. All right, let's settle this and let's put a wager. Let's say Simmons does get traded and it proves Chris to be right. If Chris wins, we know how much he loves B-Ball Paul. Lucas, would you wear a B-Ball Paul shirt in your profile picture on social media? I will do it for the I will do it on my Twitter profile for the rest of the season. <laughs> but here's the thing, Chris, okay. if Lucas wins and Simmons sits all year because Dara Mori is a stubborn man, that means that Chris, you would have to wear a Shake Milton sweatshirt in your profile picture. Would you agree to that, Chris? Yeah, that's fine. I love Shake. Well, what, what, now what happens if Ben actually plays? Do we both have to wear the shirts? Then uh, both of you give me uh, $100. No, no, no. How about we both just wear the shirts? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's fair. Uh, I'll make sure uh, that makes it makes it to the site, this little wager. Okay, okay. I'm down for it, Chris. Are you down for it? Yeah, I'm I'm down for it. I 
I don't disagree with you, Lucas. Like, obviously, Maury probably shares your mindset more than mine at this point, or at least, mm-hmm. like, publicly. And I don't disagree with where you're coming from either. I'm just thinking about it from Maury's perspective. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree that it's possible that he's just in Philly all year again, or he's just sitting out all year, and we do this whole dance again next summer. I think that's very possible. I think it's possible that he like shows up and is playing later this season i I think Mm -hmm. all of them are on the table right now you know i i just i'm at the point where this like i i don't think we we all want this to be over chris it's not not even a matter of wanting it's just there's no i can't imagine there's a benefit to keeping ben that long ben is good he's a great player he's not that great like the sixers can get a good return for him right now i'd be frankly confident in saying that they might not get what Um, perceive as equal value but right now, the Sixers are not operating from a position where they can really expect, quote-unquote, equal value. Ben is uh, – I don't want to call him damaged goods, but he doesn't want to be here. It's clear that it's a toxic relationship for both sides. Ben is miserable. The Sixers, maybe not in the locker room, are miserable, but as organizationally are pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. It, it's just got to end. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think we can sit here and wait for Damian Lillard wait for these things that just aren't going to happen. The Sixers, even in those situations, are just not guaranteed to get a Damian Lillard caliber player, even if Ben is still around. So mm-hmm. I I think they, they should be trying to trade him by the trade deadline. Because mm-hmm. like you said, you know, they make a bad trade. They close Joel's title window forever. The opposite side of that coin is if they just let Ben sit all season, they're pro- kind of wasting a year of yeah. prime, which is not ideal. I, I, I agree. And like, I get where you're coming from, Chris. I do. And like, part of me wants to make a deal. Like if the Kings came to me and offered buddy healed Davion Mitchell and picks, I'd be tempted. So in case you haven't heard doc rivers, won his 1000th game on Saturday, that puts a 10th all time. We, um, I think a lot of us were on Twitter after the game. We saw that video from the Sixers' Twitter account of Doc being showered in the locker room. Joel, like, hit him in the head with a large bucket, which <laughs> seemed a bit unfortunate. But 1,000 wins all time for Doc Rivers. Number 10 on the list. He's only 42 behind Rick Adelman, who's number 9. I certainly seems like something he can surpass maybe even this season, um, if not next season so that would mean the Sixers would have to be a 51 team yeah but certainly room for him to continue moving up that list how do we feel about him reaching this achievement Lucas um what were your thoughts I know it's hard to believe but Doc Rivers has been in the league as a head coach for 20 years guys Doc Rivers he's old why is that hard to believe he's old He's in his 50s. He's like 50. Yeah, what, he's been 50, forever. 50, we, no, he he started at 37. He's only 57, dude. Yeah, he won that championship old. in 08. That was 13 years ago. I, 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 I understand. I get that. I'm just saying it doesn't feel like it, at least not to me, but maybe it's because I don't know. I just turned 29. Don't listen to me about that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's 60, by the way. He's, he's 60. My bad. He's My 60. bad. He is 60. But you know what? That's okay. Because in the long run of things, Doc Rivers has always consistently been a very good head coach. 
even though his Orlando team struggled, I, I think that was more due to injury to Grant Hill than anything else. And he's top 10 now and wins for a reason. Like, he's a good head coach. So I, I think it's well-deserved. I, I think that he's probably, if you look back, even if you ignore the numbers and you just look up, you know, you know teams that they've coached and how well they have, I, I would still say Doc Rivers is a top 20 coach, if not top 15. So, I mean, there, I said it. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think, I don't, if anyone's like, I'm unhappy for Doc Rivers, and I was genuinely upset by the fact that he accomplished this milestone in his career, I, I don't know. I have some concerns about that individual. Um, like, of course you're happy for him. It was cool. I, I mean, the shower in the locker room was great. The speech we all saw, great stuff, really beautiful. The Sixers, again, the vibes are great. Just really lovely energy circulating around this team. I, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it, it's a really it, – it speaks a lot to his, as you said, just resume, his accomplishments. Are, there's a pretty long list of them. I, I don't think anyone can knock that. Um, he certainly has a place in, like, the Hall of Fame. One day he's going to – He's going to be in the history books, so to speak. So there, there's really no doubting that at this point. He is he, he's one of the best to do it in recent memory. Uh, but that's it, Lucas. How oh do we grade his job so far coaching the Sixers? Coaching the Sixers. Can we just count regular season or do we have to include the playoffs? You have to include the playoffs. Uh, okay. Let me do the math here. Ignore the playoffs. Let me let me do the math here. Um, because regular season, I'd probably give them like a B plus A minus, but playoffs, I, I think I'd give them a C. I don't agree with the C for the playoffs part, but I mean, he made some good choices, but he also made some very bad choices. It evens out to an e- even C. Yeah. C is average. It's a very generous interpretation. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, so what is a B minus? Is what would you give him then? Look, I don't want to sit here and like rain on the parade or anything. Doc but Rivers. you're totally going to. Doc, though. I Doc feel it Rivers, coming in my bones. Doc Rivers is an A plus human being. It's clear that all the players love him and enjoy playing for him. You're building them up just to tear him down. I feel he's it. a big reason Drummond and Yang came this summer. The Sixers are eight and two despite a slew of injuries. He has clearly held this locker room together through a lot of turmoil this season. He's a player's coach through and through. I I have no doubt that he deserves credit for that. There's a reason the Sixers have been one of the best offenses in the league two years in a row, at least the top 15, top 10 offense. Doc is a great offensive coach. He always has been. They've been really good on defense as well under his regime. I, I think, like, overall, B-minus – Sure, that's fine. I I don't even I don't hate it. I I I would say the playoff grade is lower than a C. Like Doc was truly just mind-boggling in his like inadequate. Not good. Like Doc was really bad in the playoffs. He he like shares equal weight with Ben and with a lot of guys for why they lost that series. But yeah, look, he's been a great regular season coach. That's a large part of the equation. The Sixers have were the best team in the regular season last year in the East, second or third best in the NBA. 
and now they're right now they're at the top of the league again, 10 games in only 10 games in, but a really great start considering all the factors that go into it. There's not a lot to complain about. He's one of the best coaches in recent history, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if he's like top 10 in the league right now, but he could be top 10, top 20 all time. If we're like stacking up resumes. So really great stuff. I think a B minus is fine. I'll settle on that with you. I'll agree. We're going to talk about this year's bench versus last year's, and mainly just just this year's. But Chris, ten games in, which players have impressed you the most? Well, just choose one. Just choose one. How how about we just choose one each? Well, or two, two. How about two? Okay, I'll pick two. I'm going to say first, um, Furkan, just Mm -hmm. for reasons we have discussed on this podcast. I think he's been the best player on the bench so far. He is immensely fun to watch in fourth quarters right now and in a lot of other quarters as well. His confidence is through the roof, just an absurd level of like heat check energy from him. I I think the Furkan run is going to last. I think he's like a legitimately good role player right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, I'll I'll just give a shout out again. I'll give a shout out to a guy we haven't talked about yet because I think he deserves it. He wasn't too great in the Chicago game, but Andre Drummond's been really good this season. Um, wow. Okay. I was not expecting that one from you. Okay. I mean, no, like like he's been great. I I don't really think there's much else to say about it. He's an absurdly talented defender. Um, in the role that the Sixers are playing him in, he's just going to far outseed that contract value. He is by far the best backup center in the Joel Embiid era. He has brought a new level of energy on offense as well with his willingness to pass and to do things in the post against mismatches. Doesn't always work out. You know, he, he's going to have some, some bad turnovers and stuff, but just his ambition and his confidence and his willingness to, you know, try to do things that loosen up the offense and to make things flow differently, I think has been really beneficial. He's just so much better than Dwight Howard. It's absurd. And yeah, I think he deserves a lot of credit. Do you think that Joel and Drummond are the best two man tandem at the center position in the NBA right now? Uh, I mean, yeah, because the Nuggets backup centers suck. So yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Fair enough. All right. George's Niang might be a top 10, like, under-the-radar pickup this offseason. I I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Like, they've had so many good contributions all over the roster. Yeah. Just pick two. Yeah, it's hard to pick two, but, you know, know, let's just keep – let's keep it – I'm having a hard time. Thank you. I'm having a hard time with my words tonight. Thank you. Condensed. Contained. Thank you. Anyway, anyway, I'm having a hard time tonight, guys. Anyway, so, oh, you done? <laughs> you done? <laughs> anyway, um, so but I, yeah, George isn't. I already said that. I think you did. Oh my bad. I think so. Contra- contradictory. That doesn't. That doesn't make sense. All right, no, I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> you know, you know. No. Okay, I get it. I get it. I'm having a hard time with my words tonight, guys. I apologize. Anyway. He's done everything, all the dirty work for the Sixers. He's expanded his offensive game because he was legitly go to the corner and shoot for Utah 
And now he's bringing up the ball. Sometimes he's attacking the rim. He's making really good passes, which I told you guys he was going to do. He's, you know, hitting contested three-pointers. He's being a leader in that second unit. For as good as Korkmaz is, I would say probably the glue of that second unit would probably be Niang, to be honest with you guys. Because he does all the little things. Like, he's like... Korkmaz is Steph. Niang is Draymond. You know, I was actually thinking about using Draymond as a comparison, but I was like, no, that seems a little bit too much. But you're absolutely right. That That is probably a decent comparison. And Niang is been a godsend and i love that we have him on contract for three seasons two, two more after two two more after this season no yes. one more after this season is it really only uh yes they should have gotten him for three anyway he needs to be a long-term fit here for philly that being said um the other guy that i want to give some love to and i know he started last two games but shake milton and we've already sang his praise a lot so i won't really go too much but the fact that he's, like you said, Chris, he's probably the best playmaker outside of Ben because his playmaking just looks so much more crisp than last season. Like, he's improved it. I think it's fair to say that he he's improved his playmaking from last season, something that I didn't think he was capable of doing. So kudos to you, Shake. And like I said, he's elite, like, inside the paint. Like, he's been really good at hitting those little elbow jumpers and getting to the rim, finishing in really tough traffic, fantastic. He's been a really solid backup point guard for this team, and you got to give the man credit there. So those those are my two. But, Chris, who's the one player in this second unit that, that you think has still room to grow? Well, room to grow, I mean, obviously, like... Everybody. Matisse. Yeah. <laughs> Just because he really needs to grow, um, it he has a lot of room offensively, at least to still improve. I I think it's been a bummer for a lot of us that he just has not improved offensively this season so far. Um, obviously, it's early. He's missed he missed last game um, against the Bulls, but you know I I think with Matisse, we're gonna just have to kind of get used to the fact that he's one of the best defenders to walk the planet. And he's also one of the worst offensive players getting minutes in the NBA. That's just like the dichotomy of Matisse Thibel. I, I think that's going to continue to be the case. If for some reason, Ben Simmons is still on the team and he's playing, I, I think it will be interesting to see how doc manages Matisse's minutes. Cause if shake continues to do what he's doing, you're not benching maxi. You're not benching Ferk. You're not benching Niang. Drummond, you really need Drummond's rim protection. Like, I, I think there's a world where Matisse is, like, kind of the guy who gets shafted there. And until he improves offensively, I think that's probably the right choice. Like, obviously, he's always going to have at least situational value because he's one of the best perimeter defenders maybe ever. Like, like he certainly has the potential to, to be that. But, like, the offense is is a big concern and I, I hope at least that he can at least become like a good shooter. Cause in, until that point, um, there, there are going to be some problems still, but he's going to continue to stick around and to play minutes just because he's so good defensively. Yeah. I, I, that's a good one. Not who I had in mind. I was actually going to go for, uh, you know, stroke Joe or Isaiah Joe is his legal name. Um, Joe had took, 
I think it was until it wasn't until like the fourth or fifth game in the regular season before he even scored a basket. His struggle has been real from the floor. I mean, he started to pick it up a little bit, but like the Sixers need more out of him, in my opinion. Um, especially, I know that playing like seven minutes a night is not ideal for him, but he he needs there there needs to be more from him. Like there there just has to be because, like, well, not has to be, but it makes life a lot simpler when you have a high volume shooter that's actually hitting their shots. And I think we both believe that, you know, in a vacuum, Joe's probably the second best shooter on this team behind Curry. And he just needs to get the confidence in the regular season and the, you know, shots to get the, you know, get the hot hand, Uh, you know, and, Hopefully he can get more minutes moving forward once he returns from this health and safety protocols, but it is concerning the slow start that he's had to the season. Yeah, you're right. You want to go ahead and do our social media question of the week? Okay. The social media question of the week is what is the biggest contributing factor to the Sixers current winning streak? And the options were George's Niang's steady play, Seth Curry's hot shooting, Joel Embiid's defense, and Shake Milton's return. Out of 241 votes, the overwhelming majority say that it's Seth Curry at 63%. In second, we have Niang's steady play. Embiid in at 11% and 8% with Shake Milton. Chris, do you agree with this, or what, what are your thoughts? Um, You know, I I think generally it's been such like it a group effort that it's hard to pinpoint just one as the quote unquote biggest factor. But I, I agree in a sense that Curry taking the leap that he has, has been pretty essential to what Philly's doing, especially with Tobias now out. Like they've just needed another guy to be that number two option offensively. And Curry has been able to do it a lot of nights and that's been really important. But Embiid, is like putting together a defensive player of the year campaign. He's still the best player on this team. Even on nights when he's not playing well offensively, he's still by far the most important player on the court on both ends. So I think there's a pretty strong argument for Embiid. I, Milton, again, they're undefeated since he came back. You can make a pretty good case there. Uh, Niang, as we said, is the glue guy. I, I He probably is the weakest case, quote-unquote, but he's been great. So... Uh, I, I guess I'll agree with Curry, but I, I think it's been a group effort. I think all of them have played a pretty big part in it. You know, I'll let chaos reign, and I'll say it's because Shake Milton's back. And the reason why I say that is because, think about it, without Milton, they had to rely on Korkmaz as the point guard. And don't get me wrong, I love point Korkmaz as much as the next person, but it's not a legit like legitimate long-term solution. Milton being back allows two ball handlers and sometimes two on the court at all times, like legit, you know, ball handlers. And Milton, like I said, has been very, you know, efficient inside the arc and just his play, I think, has been very underrated. I mean, I think that once the three point shot goes up, I think you'll get even more credit than what he's getting right now. But obviously, it's probably not the best correlation. But I mean, at the same time, let's. I'm not going to deny it. And like I said, I'll let chaos reign and choose Milton just to go against the curve there, guys. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. Yeah, Chris, you want to go ahead and play us out, man? 
yeah, I I will do that. I don't really have much more to add this week, so we can just cut to the outro. Um, I will say though, end of the day though, I will say, uh, Lucas, man, Owen three, but anyways. <sighs> so how's your team doing, Chris? Uh, we're about to be two and one, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, to all our listeners, thanks as always, thanks, Chris. I'm sorry. No, you're not. Thanks as always for tuning in to yet another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, follow along. Give us five stars if you can. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. Or at our website, thesixersense.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sixersense. Um, you can follow Lucas at Lucas Johnson NBA and me at Klein NBA, by the way. Um, we don't give that out every week, but you can follow us. I don't know if my tweets are very exciting. Um, right now, I'm just doing a daily tweet thing of me doing No Shave November, so I'm not that exciting. Yeah, Most of mine are just like random Spotify links and... The occasional troll. The occasional basketball troll, too. Yeah, some movie thoughts, stuff like that. If anyone wants to tweet about the new Wes Anderson movie, come at me. We can talk about it. Oh, goodness. uh, Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. As always, we will be back later this week with some more Sixers talk. And until then, have a good one. Peace out. Go Sixers. Go Furcon. All that good stuff. Thanks, everyone. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.